Welcome to the Love and Marriage Podcast, presented by BYU Speeches, featuring BYU devotionals and forums that offer insights on dating and marriage. Be sure to check out our other podcasts by searching BYU Speeches wherever you get your podcasts or by visiting speeches.byu.edu slash podcasts. I'd much rather be behind the scenes than behind the pulpit. I'm grateful for the prayer of Brother Pearson, a man for whom I have great respect, whom I've known for years and loved greatly. And I pray that his prayer may be answered. I had forgotten about this appointment. I must confess, I took a class in speech once, and the professor said, whatever you do, don't stand up and apologize. (laughs) But I had completely forgotten about this until I turned over my calendar last night and looked to see what was ahead today and saw BYU, 10 a.m. I had the same kind of feeling that you have, I think, when you wake up on a cold morning and suddenly realize that you have a midterm exam ahead of you. (laughs) And you'd like to pull the covers back and sleep like Rip Van Winkle. You've heard this story before. I think I told it here some years ago or some time ago. The young man who registered for a class and loafed along all quarter and then came examination day and he came into the classroom and the teacher wrote the questions on the board and he picked up his pencil and looked at his paper and wrote at the top of the paper, Lord of hosts, be with us yet, lest we forget, lest we forget. (laughs) And then he scratched his head and tried to recall in vain the answers. And time was finally called, and he scribbled at the bottom, Lord of hosts, forsake us not. We have forgot, we have forgot. Well, now, (laughs) I'm here. That reminds me of the old sign that I saw dangling from a fence in Texas, weather-beaten, hanging from rusted barbed wire by a loose staple, which read, burned out by drought, drowned out by flood water, ed out by jackrabbits, Ordered out by Q Cluck, sold out by Sheriff, still here. <laughs> I thought this morning that I'd uh, just like to talk with you about a few simple things with which you're already familiar. And if I say a few things that you may have heard me say somewhere else. I hope you'll be patient. I saw as I drove up here a boy and a girl walking along hand in hand with an April sort of look in their eyes. and That put me in mind of what I think I'd like to say. 
It'll be familiar to you, and it won't be very erudite. But I assure you that it will be basic and fundamental. I've been impressed as I have been going to state conferences over the past year and a half with the number of people who start brilliantly and fade out as far as the standards of the church go. I was in a state last Sunday where there are 405 men in a single stake, 405 men who have been baptized and confirmed members of this church. Some of them ordained deacons and teachers and priests, but not one among them who was ever found worthy by his bishop to be recommended to his stake president to receive the Melchizedek priesthood. I dare say, but I wouldn't give it as a dogmatic assertion, that some of them were once students of this university. I think you couldn't find five, 405 members of the church anywhere who, weren't, who didn't include some people who'd come out of this school, adults that is. I know that you're full of resolution and hope and ideals and that the stars are in your eyes. But I'd like to suggest that sometimes it's a far step from the ideals of which you dream to the facts which become a part of your lives. I've come to this conclusion that the nation is no stronger than the homes of the people and that the church is no stronger in its practical aspects and in the faith and devotion of its members than the homes of the people. And so this morning I want to talk a little bit, if I may, about your homes, and I'll watch the clock and you won't have to. The homes which you now have and the homes which inevitably you hope to build. I'm tremendously impressed with a statement from the Proverbs, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. And if you'll be patient a few minutes, I'd like to suggest to you this morning four cornerstones to place under the homes which you build, and if what I say sounds trite, you drop your heads and sleep. Cornerstone number one, I think, is without question marriage under the plan of the Lord, under the authority of the holy priesthood. And I want to tell you, brethren and sisters, it's a it's an amazing thing to me to see the percentage of members of this church, young people, who have been brought up in the teachings of this church, who sell themselves short in going short of that opportunity, in marrying short of that opportunity. I had the opportunity of participating in the dedication of the London Temple, and about 76,000 non-members of the church walked through that building before it was dedicated. 
It was an amazing sight. They didn't give a nudge. They didn't whisper. They didn't cough. They didn't say a thing. What a marvelous thing it was to see that kind of reverence in a Mormon building. If Harold Glenn Clark, <laughs> if Harold Glenn Clark reprints this talk, I've got to delete that sentence. Anyhow, they came out full of questions. And it was a most interesting experience to go over on the front steps of the temple and talk with them when they came out. They'd seen a lot of signs in there. Sealing room number one. They wanted to know how long we sealed them in there. Uh, <laughs> baptism for the dead, how long we kept them before we baptized them. <laughs> Questions of that kind. A couple came out one evening when I was over there holding hands, and I walked up and I said, do you have any questions? Can I help you with anything? And the girl said, I want to know something about this eternal marriage that I've heard mentioned here. What do you mean, eternal marriage? And I said, do you believe that life is eternal? Yes. Do you believe, don't you believe, that love is the finest expression of life? Yes. I said, did you realize that when the vicar married you, I guess you were married by the vicar, and she said, yes. Did you realize that when the vicar married you, he not only solemnized your marriage, but he decreed your separation, your divorce, as it were? And she said, what do you mean? I said, didn't he say something like this? In sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, for better or for worse, till death do ye part. She said, yes, that's exactly what, I, what he said. Well, I said, he exercised all the authority that he had. And he didn't presume to exercise any authority concerning anything that extended beyond this life. Can you imagine heaven in the finest sense without the companionship of this young man whose hand you hold here? And she said, no, I can't, and I never thought of it otherwise. But I said, the vicar said, till death do ye part. And in that great conversation which took place between the Savior and his apostles wherein the Peter declared, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, and the Savior said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. The Lord went on to say, And I give unto thee the keys of the kingdom, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. I said the same authority which the Lord gave to his apostles has been restored in our day. And following the dedication of this temple next Sunday, the man and woman who come to this holy house to be married and who kneel at the altar which you saw will be bound together in a relationship which can be broken not by death, 
but only by the forces of sin and neglect. And she went on asking questions and walked away finally. I don't know whether she's joined the church. I hope she has. But I'm sure that she had been shocked and intrigued. I think I told the story here once before of a young man at the dedication of the New Zealand temple who before the dedication stood up in a testimony meeting and said, I couldn't afford to come here. I didn't have the money. I don't own my home. I own nothing but a car, an old car, and a few dishes, and some furniture. And I said to my wife, we can't afford to go to Auckland. That's as far almost incidentally as it is from San Francisco to New York. We can't afford to go. And then he said, I looked at my beautiful wife and our three lovely children. And I said, you can't afford not to go. You can sell your car. You can sell your furniture. You can sell your dishes and maybe get enough. If the Lord will bless you with strength, somehow you can get another car and another set of dishes and a little more furniture. But if you ever lose these who were most precious to you, you will be poor indeed. And he said, I'm here, and I'm grateful that I came. Now, I want to, I want to, when I was coming down, I had the radio going. <laughs> and the radio was playing an old tune kind that the one I, one I used to dance to when I was less brittle. <laughs> Irving Berlin's always. I'll be loving you always with a love that's true always. When the things you planned need a helping hand, I will understand always. That's the ideal, but it's realized, so far as I know, only in one way. I don't know why the Lord has prescribed that we should go to the temple, that that's the only condition under which we can be married for eternity. There are a lot of things I don't know and that I don't understand. But I do know that that's the way he said it. That's the pattern. That's the program. And it's just as important that we follow it if we want the blessing as it was that Naaman go and bathe in the River Jordan, ridiculous as it appeared to him, if he cared to be cured of the terrible disease which afflicted his body. Now, I've said this before, and I know it sounds silly, but I'm going to say it once more. Can you imagine a situation of this kind at the time of life when the moon is full and kids go around with stars in their eyes, John says to Mary, Mary, you're wonderful. There's nobody in all the world like you. I love you. I want you for my wife, but I don't want you forever. <laughs> I want you only for a little while and then be gone. 
And she says to him, John, you're wonderful. <laughs> Nobody quite like you. I love you, and I want you for my husband and the father of our children. But I don't want you or them always, just for a little while and then be gone. Now, in effect, isn't that what a young man says to a young woman and a young woman says to a young man when they've been raised in the teachings of this church and they conclude to pass up marriage in the house of the Lord for something else? Cornerstone number one, marriage in the Lord's house. And I've got to hurry. I think I'll pass over the other two. I haven't time. <laughs> two of them and get to the last. And it's related to the first. During the summer, I had a day at home with the flu, and my children said to me, Dad, have you seen Dr. Papineau on TV? And I said, no. He said, oh, they said you ought to see it. It's killing. So, 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I turned on Dr. Papineau. You all know about Dr. Papineau. Anybody who's taken a class in sociology, I assume, knows about Dr. Papineau, great marriage counselor. He was conducting some pre-divorce pre trial hearings before the nation. And uh, it was funny, but it was sad. Here was a couple, been married for 29 years who were swearing at each other so often that I counted 15 times in which the program had to be censored while they were giving their testimony. <laughs> and here was another couple married for 11 years who had so blighted the sacred covenants they'd made one with another that they were swearing at one another before the nation. And I thought, what a travesty. What a travesty. And I thought of the statement made by President Stephen L. Richards on one, one occasion that the answer to, to marital problems is not divorce but repentance. Not divorce but repentance. And then I thought of this. These things would never happen if people had a true understanding of who they are and why they're here and what their real relationships with one another ought to be, the kind of understanding which comes of a knowledge of the gospel, the kind of understanding which brings about respect for self and respect for one another, I glory in the teaching which we have concerning the man who is the head of the house, who is endowed with the holy priesthood of God, who has the responsibility to provide nurture, physical nurture and spiritual nurture for his family. I, I was at Liberty Jail a little while ago. Everybody ought to go to Liberty Jail. I mean that seriously. I was there of an evening, and we 
we went down into that dungeon and stood on those rough rocks which constituted the floor of the prison cell in which the prophet Joseph spent five months during the winter of 1838-39. That foul, desolate, lonely, cold place. And as we stood there, I said to myself these words, which came out of the misery and loneliness of that place. And I give them to you, you brethren here who hold the priesthood and who will become heads of households if your dreams are fulfilled. as a standard by which you shall govern your homes. No power or influence can or ought to be maintained, and I'm leaving a little, deleting a little, only by persuasion, by long-suffering, by gentleness and meekness, and by love unfeigned, by kindness and pure knowledge, reproving betimes with sharpness, not in a fit of anger, not in a temper, when moved upon by the Holy Ghost, and then showing forth afterwards an increase of love toward him whom thou hast reproved, lest he esteem thee to be his enemy, that he may know that thy faithfulness is stronger than the cords of death. I talked with a missionary day before yesterday, a young man who's in the mission home and finds himself in trouble. He's got to back, go back home. And I said, don't you think you'd better go home and talk this out with your father? He said, I can't talk to my father. I said, is your father a member of the church? He said, yes. Hold the priesthood. Yes, but we never get along. There's a great chasm between me and my father. I want to tell you that the world is full of prodigal sons who fain would return and eat husks if they could return to their father's homes and hearts. And they can't because of the strains and fences and hurdles that exist. May I suggest to you, young man, that you read this over and over and over again and make it a part of your thinking as you look forward to the time when you shall lay a cornerstone under the home of your life. May I suggest, as I've suggested further here, that in the philosophy of the gospel, the girl you take to the temple is not a doll or a toy. She's not a chattel or a slave. She's a daughter of our Father in heaven, and she's a companion and an equal. And without her, worlds without end, you cannot achieve the highest degree of exaltation in our Father's kingdom. 
And may I suggest that the children who come to your home are likewise the children of our Father in heaven, and that he will hold you responsible for them. I believe that parents should respect children, but I believe also that—I mean that children should respect parents, but I believe also that parents should respect children. I had a very unfortunate circumstance, little circumstance a little while ago, and then I'll put a period on this when I tell that. A young man was in the mission home, and he'd had his farewell and was on his way, and word came that his parents had done something that made it infeasible to send him. Now, I can't tell you all the details. Suffice it to say that the First Presidency concluded that because of the action of the parents, the boy could not go into the world to represent the Church. I went over and helped him load his trunk into my car, and I drove him home. And as we drove about ten miles, he sat with his head in his hand, weeping. He was an honor student, a graduate of the university. He was a bright and capable and wonderful young man, but he had become, become so saturated with a certain philosophy that he just couldn't shed it and he couldn't go. And I thought, surely the sins of the parents are being heaped upon the heads of the child. The philosophy which comes of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we ought to respect one another for what we are. We ought to get, live together in love and harmony and peace in recognition of the fact that we're sons and daughters of our Father in heaven placed here for a purpose. God bless you, my brethren and sisters. As you go forward to build your homes, accept the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. The Lord bless you now and always. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to the Love and Marriage Podcast presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts of recent speeches, classic speeches, and BYU Speeches compilations on overcoming adversity. By study and by faith, Come follow me, the prophet Joseph Smith, and Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. Go to speeches.byu.edu and click on podcasts for more information. You can also find all BYU Speeches podcasts at your preferred podcast provider.